have usually some kind of significance. Um, we, uh, of course, you all know that we just recently lost uh, Brother B.F., and uh, I, I had asked the question myself this morning, and I overheard somebody else asking the question of Curtis, what does B.F. stand for? And um, apparently nobody knows, um, but I think B.F.'s father knew, and he was the one that put those initials on his birth certificate. Um, but um, Brother B.F. himself never found out that I'm, that I'm aware of as far as what Curtis has told me. And um, so he, he, he had initials, just initials. I guess that's what happens when you have too many children. You start running out of names and creativity, and, and you don't know what to do. You just use initials. I, I guess that's better than a number, right? Our children have names. Our, our first one, we, uh, we had to have two names ready because we had decided, uh, my wife had decided at one point that she did not want to find out what uh, the, the baby's gender was going to be. She wanted to be surprised. And um, she changed her mind at some point, but I said, no, we already decided that, that we're going to wait, and so we're going to wait. We're not going to find out. And so we had to have two names ready. And, uh, you know, your first one, that's a big deal. But by the time I, f- I forget which one it was, maybe it was, maybe it was when Noah came along, I think. Uh, anyway, one of our children, fourth or fifth maybe, um, went several days before he had a name because we were having a hard time <laughs> deciding on a name. It's interesting, most of you, I'm sure, are, are aware of the uniqueness of the names that occur often in Native American uh, culture. Uh, my dad used to talk about uh, an American Indian uh, that he had read about or heard about whose name was Jump Up and Run Around the Stump. And typically those names, you know, Sitting Bull, uh, crazy horse, whatever. Those names uh, have some kind of significance based on some characteristic of the child or something that that child has done. Last names often are related to uh, to occupation. Our last name of Bender is related to the the uh, early history of of our family name. At any rate, they were benders of iron or blacksmiths. Some of those, the first ones that came over to America, uh, were called coopers. They were they were barrel makers, and they were responsible primarily for the part of the barrel, the the ring of iron that went around the outside, the wooden staves of the barrel. Um, in this passage of scripture, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Uh, we find some interesting references to uh, the child's name. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You, you can turn there if you want to, but most of you, I'm sure, know this verse of Scripture. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In speaking of the child who is to be born, the prophet gives us these four descriptions of the child's name. They are not the name, they are descriptions of the name. The NIV Study Bible calls these the four throne names of the Messiah. So they are similar to a title, something like uh, Richard the Lionhearted or William the Conqueror or something of that nature. These are the four throne names of the Messiah. The first one that is listed there is Wonderful Counselor. He is a wonderful, or he will be a wonderful counselor. This title points to one who will be a king who decides on a course of action and then who will carry it out. A planning king, but not just a king with a plan, but a king who will complete the plan. This child will be one who carries out a divine royal program that will cause the world to look on in amazement and marvel at the plan, the counsel of this one. This reminds me of me and two of my cousins. One, uh, two brothers, they, one was just about my age, six or seven months older than me, and then he had an older brother who was about five years older than both of us. And uh, because me and the one, we were the younger, we were, we were not the planners, but our older, his older brother, the older one, five years older, he was the one with all of the plans. And uh, he came up with some real interesting plans. I, I can think of the numbers of times that we went on all kinds of expeditions and explorations there around in the, the countryside where we lived and sometimes got lost and had a hard time finding our way back home. Uh, we did eventually make it, in case you're wondering. Uh, we did find our way back home eventually, uh, but sometimes it took longer than others uh, to find our way back home. I remember the time that he decided it would be a good idea for us to make up our own language. I'm not sure why that was a good idea at the time, but apparently it seemed to be. And so uh, it, it seemed to be kind of a neat thing that, uh, that we could converse with one another and nobody knew what we were talking about except us. And so we made up our own language. A lot of other plans that uh, were talked about and never were carried out, and we can all be pretty thankful of that, I'm sure. Um, if you knew what some of those plans involved, you'd, you'd be glad. The uh, plans for world domination and all kinds of things. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when we look at the world that we live in today, though, it, it may seem as if there is some juvenile delinquent acting as the counselor or planner for what's going on in this world, similar to me and my cousins and our crazy ideas and plans that we would come up with. It often looks like there's some little kid somewhere in the background uh, just playing and making things happen in, in this world that, so that it just runs chaotic and crazy. 
Isaiah chapter 8, which is a part of the same context of this passage, we, we read a little description there, uh, similar to what the world sounds like now. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 says this, When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or no light in them. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. The idea is that they're looking, they're looking around for some solution, some answers to all of the problems and the troubles and the chaos, but there's no one who seems to have the answers, no one who seems to have the ability to provide what is needed. They're hungry, they will be enraged, they will speak contemptuously against their king, turn their faces upward. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Doesn't some of that sound like the world that we live in today? When I look at this and I think about our world and ask, why is the world such a mess? There are a number of reasons we might conclude that gives us the answer to this problem, why the world is in the mess that it's in. But I think it comes down simply to, well, Psalm, Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build. In other words, I think most of the mess of the world that we live in is a result of people simply following after their own counsel and following after their own ideas. We have people who would rather uh, look to their horoscope to find out what uh, kind of day they're going to have or what they ought to do. Um, <laughs> we had some uh, Chinese food a little, I don't know, a couple weeks back, and the children were always, always intrigued by the fortune cookies, and, and uh, it, it's just, you know, it's nonsensical, meaningless to us. But, you know, you'd be surprised how many people find meaning, quote, in the strangest things. And it, it's interesting to me often, it's interesting to me how often people who are supposed to be Christians with faith in God live lives that are full of empty superstition, afraid of sometimes saying something out loud because they might inadvertently influence whatever is in the ether and make something negative happen. Um, afraid if they do say something, you know, the, you know what that is? Knock on wood. You try to ward off whatever influences. If you have said something, you know, you're going to ward off whatever influence you might have brought upon yourself by knocking on wood. Well, friends, we don't need a crystal ball to help us plan for the future, and neither should we simply follow after our own counsel. What we need is a counselor that knows more than we do 
and that sees farther than we can see. We need someone whose thoughts are high above our thoughts and whose ways are beyond our ways. Hmm, that sounds like something that ought to be a verse of Scripture, if it isn't. Oh, I think it is. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For to us a child is born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is the one with the wonderful plan and the ability to complete the plan. That brings us to the next point. The next title is Mighty God. He will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The idea, the primary idea behind this is the idea of power. It is the kind of language that would be used to refer to a powerful warrior or a champion. Now, somehow or another, obviously it was through the divine spirit of God, Isaiah had received, I believe, received some insight into what we know as the incarnation. The incarnation. That is God himself coming down to this world and wrapping himself in human flesh to become one of us. You see, only God could do what Jesus came to do. As Messiah, Jesus was the one who was to redeem humanity. He was to be tempted in all points like any other man and yet would conquer sin and triumph over death and the grave and over Satan himself. He was to pay the ransom price for our sins as the final sacrificial lamb. Something only God could do. So it required an incarnation. God becoming flesh, becoming human. But also only a man could do what Jesus came to do. Only God could do what Jesus came to do. Only man could do what Jesus came to do. You see, one of the traits that a mediator must have is that he must fully identify with both sides, must be in in full understanding and full sympathy with both sides. So only a man could do what Jesus came to do. You see, the Bible tells us that no man has seen God at any time, and humanity needed some way of understanding who God is and what He is like and what He requires of us. And so we read verses like John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then over in Hebrews chapter 1, we read similar words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, 
So when you see Jesus, you are seeing, yes, a man, but also more than a man. He is fully divine, fully God, and fully man. You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, as recorded in John chapter 14, one of them, Philip, I believe it was, asked him, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus responded seemingly disappointed. Have I been with you so long and you still do not understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You see, only God could do what Jesus came to do, but also it must have been a man. So in Christ, God became man, incarnate, the God-man. A man with power. You know, men like power, but we like power under control. You know, much of the story of humanity throughout the ages of history has been humanity learning how to harness the, the power of nature, the power that is in the world to make, it, to make it useful, usable to us. I believe this is one of the reasons why so many men and women are reluctant to come to God and give Him full control of their lives because we are interested in power, but we only want power that we can control. We can make use of when and as we want it. But friends, this evening, the mighty God has come among us. He paid the price that only He could pay. He revealed God to us because only the God-man could do it. It is His blood that was presented as the final sacrifice so that you and I can be justified and forgiven. And the might of God has been under restraint for the period of time that we know as human history. You see, some power has been left in our hands. That is the power of choice, the ability to choose who we will serve and who we will not serve. But the day will come when that reality will shift. And as the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the mighty God. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is also the everlasting Father. Now this title and the next one, hint at what the child would accomplish as a result of being a wonderful counselor and the mighty God. In other words, there is a progression in these titles. He is the everlasting Father. Everlasting, that's easy to understand. That just means forever. Forever. He is the forever Father. And if you think of what a father is, a father is a provider and a protector, a provider and a protector. Sometimes I struggle with the idea of being a father, being a provider and a protector, one who is faithful to love my children, but also to teach and instruct them in the way they ought to go, to to provide what they need to protect them. I saw this image some time ago, and it spoke to me uh, to the reality of, of what a father is responsible for doing and being for his children. 
to care for them and love them and absorb as much as possible the, the blows, the arrows, the wounds that might come their way. Now, one of the things that's difficult about this is the, the realization that I will not always be able to do that for my children. Right now, as much as possible, I want to protect them, and I gladly, like this, like this man in the illustration, gladly receive the, the wounds and the arrows meant for my children and hope to absorb as much of that into myself as I can to protect them. I, <laughs> I saw a... Uh, a t-shirt not too long ago, and I think I'm going to have to buy it or, or do something, uh, get something similar. The t-shirt said this, yes, I have a beautiful daughter. I also have a gun, a shovel, and an alibi. <laughs> I, I thought I might, I might need that one of these days. <laughs> but the awareness that I'm not always going to be able to, to be there. I, one of the things that I, I treasure so much about my own life, I know my, my parents, my mom and dad weren't perfect parents, but they were godly, they are godly people, and they loved my sister and myself, and they taught and trained us to the best of their ability, and, and my dad worked hard to be a faithful provider and a protector. And I remember watching him as he struggled to let go and to allow my sister and I to grow up and go out into the world and, and face the harsh reality of what it is like to live in this world. And now I understand in a similar fashion seeing my firstborn, my oldest son, go out into the world and the awareness that I cannot be the protector and the provider for him that I once was. And so, friends, it's comforting to know that there was a child born who came to be the everlasting Father, to represent to us the forever protector and provider. We see this in the ministry of Jesus Himself when He was on this earth, and the children, I, I'm sure some of those children had to be the little ankle biters. You know, we see the, we see the, the illustrations in the Bible story books of the children, you know, sitting around Jesus and serenely, quietly listening to Him. And I don't, I'm convinced that that wasn't always the case. Otherwise, the disciples wouldn't have been trying to shoo them away. I'm convinced that many of those children had to have been some of the hyperactive ADHD uh, little ankle biters that, that when they're around, if you have a nervous temperament. These children are, you're, you're doing your best to try to keep your nerves under control. I'm convinced that that was, those, some of those kids were in that crowd, but Jesus said, oh, suffer the little children to come unto me, and do not forbid them. He invited them to come to him. In, even in his death, he was 
being a provider, as you recall how he spoke to one of the disciples, to John, and said, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. In other words, I'm giving you the responsibility now of caring for, providing for my mother. Before he ascended back to heaven, he promised his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is the everlasting Father. But finally this evening, he is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. That word prince is just simply a word that means leader. A leader. And the word peace is, the, is based on the Hebrew word shalom. And uh, if you've interacted at all with, with people that speak the Hebrew language or maybe you have seen uh, depicted in, in film or story or what have you, the common greeting uh, in the Hebrew language is the word shalom, similar to the way we would just simply say hello. And at, at first glance, it is a word that means Peace, and that's how the Bible translates it, the Prince of Peace. But it means so much more than simply peace. But it is a, a full-orbed, uh, holistic well-being. That's what the word means. It, it is a holistic type of well-being. That in every way possible, in every area of your life, everything is, is squared away, everything is good. You are at peace. Jesus accomplishes this in a number of ways. We know that He came to bring peace to the human heart. Jesus came to bring peace to the human heart. John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He came to bring peace to the human heart. I believe this is the primary way now that Jesus is at work in providing peace. And the day will come eventually when He will end all wars on this planet. When we read the prophecies of the Old Testament, often we find the, the prophetic view blended. In fact, some of, the, some of the Christmas carols that we sing give us a blended view of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And some of you, you will recognize this when you hear it. Let me find the, the easiest example is the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, on 173. So think about the things that have already taken place and the things that are yet to, play, to, yet to take place. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Has, has that happened fully yet? No, not yet, not fully. It has happened in a, to a limited degree. It can happen in our individual hearts. The Savior reigns, but not on a worldwide basis. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Has that happened yet? 
No, that hasn't happened yet, but it will. It will. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. He is the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Hasn't happened fully yet, but it will. You see, friends, in this child, the child prophesied by Isaiah, the one whose name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As Wonderful Counselor, he has a wonderful plan. As a mighty God, he has mighty power to accomplish that plan. As everlasting father, he offers everlasting protection and provision for his children. And as prince of peace, he came to end all wars, especially the war in the human heart. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. If you know these words, sing along with me. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name stand together please Holy Father, we do not want to be people who are proud of who we are. We do want to be genuinely humble people. Yet at the same time, we don't want to be people who stumble through this world hiding our light and thinking of ourselves as insignificant nobodies. Lord, help us simply to keep our eyes turned away from self and focused on you, consistently, habitually spending time in your presence so that as, as we absorb the light that comes from you, we will be able to go out into the dark places of this world and be influential and be salt and be light. And we will thank you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.